Going through trauma and betrayal can affect our relationship with others, but can it also affect our relationship with ourselves? I'm Dr. Christy Wise, and this is Life Sauce. Mr. J is a relationship coach who in his earlier years experienced a lot of betrayal and trauma, but he found his way back. Hi, hi, Mr. J. I'm very excited that you're here today and um, was uh, loved reading your bio because what I recognized and kind of dawned on me that most of us in the coaching field, in the therapy world, you know, we get into this field because we have been through a lot ourselves. And in that discovery of like, how do I heal? How do I get through it? You know, we find a love and compassion of both ourselves and of our clients. And so I was really excited to start this, if that's okay with you, about what brought you to this realization that you wanted to make a, you know, an impact in the way that you have as a coach. So can you tell me a little bit about your history and what you went through to get here? Certainly, Christy. Thank you so much. Um, and I appreciate your time um, as well. You know, um, I, I tell people a lot of times that I, I've been a betrayal trauma practitioner only a few years, but I've been um, studying for and practicing for about 40. Um, and, um, you know, I also say I don't believe that people necessarily have to have a brain injury before they're allowed to work on your brain. But I also know there's no substitute for experience. Um, so I was a life coach for many years, a life coach, uh, an intrapersonal relationship coach, and I'd help people with the relationship they have with themselves. Because I always say, you know, the relationship we have with ourselves sets the tone and standard for all other relationships around us. And um, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I'll try to make this fast. A couple of years ago, I lost my father abruptly. And when I mean abruptly, I mean, I was on the phone with him one day laughing, talking, everything was fine. And four days later, I was lowering him into the ground six feet under. And um, it was probably a, a day or so after that, I woke up uh, at about three o'clock in the morning and I had a panic attack. Now, I've never had a panic attack before. I couldn't tell you what one felt like, but Lord, they feel like you are dying. And I, but, but when I woke up to this panic attack, I smelled smoke. And so I left the bedroom. I have two young kids and I'm going all over my house trying to smell out the smoke in the kitchen, in the pantry, in the laundry room, in the living room. I even opened up my door to see if my neighbors were, you know, had a fire going. Try as I may, I could not figure out where this smoke was coming from. I'm going upstairs. I'm going downstairs. Um, finally, I realized there was nothing and we weren't in any danger or peril. And I, there's no origin for the smoke in the house. Let me just go lie back down. So I got in bed. And when my head hit the pillow, I was transformed back to when I was six years old, standing next to my mother, who was screaming when our house caught on fire. Wow. So my body was, all that unhealed trauma was coming up. Yeah. That was so interesting and weird to me that I started looking into trauma, um, all kinds of trauma videos. And uh, I found one um, uh, TED talk by this lady named Dr. Debbie Silver. And um, uh, she invited me into a community 
where I was basically initially just there to get help from trauma. Um, and after a while, I, um, I, uh, you know, she said, I, I really like the help that you've been giving our other members. Would you want to go through the program to become a certified betrayal trauma practitioner yourself? And I said, sure. I think this is something that, um, again, I have, uh, you know, experience, I have a passion for, um, and, um, ever since then, you know, my coaching has for good and bad exploded. And when I say good and bad, it's good for me that, you know, I, I have a lot of clients, but it's bad because, um, I'm trying hard to work myself out of a job. I, I feel bad for how much pain people are in. And I hear the most horrific stories all day long because my niche, my niche, however you pronounce that, is betrayal trauma. Certainly I work with people and traumatized, but betrayal trauma is a whole different world uh, uh, aside from trauma itself. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and well, I, I, like I like how you made, made the transition, transition from, from betrayal trauma to the relationship with yourself, yourself. Because, because oftentimes, oftentimes when you've, when you've experienced, experienced high levels of betrayal, betrayal it has us question and, and, our, and, and trust that, that relationship with ourselves. Ourself, right? right. So, so betrayal, betrayal in particular, particular um, sort, sort of spoke, spoke to you because you experienced high levels of betrayal or because... Of what? What, what, made, what you made you decide to go, go down, down that path? Yeah, you know, I, you know, growing up, uh, after we lost, after we lost our house to the fire, it was shortly after that my parents um, got divorced, and um, so you know there was some abandonment with with my father. Uh, my mother kind of went and got into a dark phase of her life, and so I went through a tremendous amount of. Um, uh, abuse and, um, you know, in every facet and way. And so there was, there was self betrayal, there was parental betrayal. Um, and then as you get older, uh, you know, the, the unhealed version of you is what presents itself in the world. So you attract these people in your life that additionally betray you. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was all the above that got me into the whole betrayal, uh, trauma yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and and yeah, we we get into those patterns of you know connecting with partners who will ultimately betray us. But even through our own relationship with ourselves, we betray ourselves by not being true, by not living a life we love, by being you know too frozen or paralyzed to commit to something greater or bigger for ourselves. So I really I really respect your. That transition is fantastic. And I, I speak a lot about the relationship with yourself because I too believe that, you know, when you have that, then you have a foundation to launch into just about anything. So tell me a little bit about what that means to you, but the relationship with yourself. How do you describe that to your clients? Yeah. So basically, well, let me just first say this, you know, uh, uh, I deal a lot, I deal a lot with infidelity. And one of the things I tell people is infidelity is the big relationship eye opener. Um, it, it, it opens up our eyes uh, for the person who stepped outside the relationship. They have to do an autopsy, a personal inventory. Okay, why did I do this? Was there a genetic component? Were some childhood trauma? What was the opportunity? What was, what was I looking for? What was I trying to numb, distract, avoid, cope with? The person who was betrayed has to do just as much work, if not more, doing a personal autopsy and an inventory. Okay, where was I laxed in my boundaries? Where was I not trusting my intuition? They have to do their own inventory. So 
betrayal is a big eye opener. And um, I, so I think, you know, having a relationship with yourself is making sure that all the elements, the physical, the financial, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, because if you drive down the highway with two flat tires, it's not going to be an enjoyable ride. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure all your tires have the same amount of air and getting the same amount of attention so you can enjoy that ride. Same thing with our personal being. We need to make sure every area in our life is at full capacity, or at least we're working on it. Um, so we can enjoy the ride of life. Mm, I love that. That's a great analogy, by the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So many visuals came to my mind, you know. So what makes you um, such a successful coach? How did you, you know, how did you kind of find your way, your mojo, so to speak, in, in becoming a really impactful coach? You know something? I'll tell you what. You know, I, 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 in one way, I hate my experiences. I hate what I went through, but I love what I do. Mm -hmm. But I, but I very cautious when I say that, because I have a motto, you, you can't love who you are and hate the experiences that shaped it. Mm. So, um, you know, so one of the things is, is I've, I've, I've been through a lot, you know, with sexual abuse and homelessness and physical abuse and emotional and mental abuse. And I was, you know, I, um, I have a, but I have a very strong faith and I've been raised in a church. I've also been in the military. Um, I've also written a bow, a, a book. I've also been in stage and theater. I've also, um, uh, I've been around a dot, like I've been around so many different um, but I've also been on the opposite side of infidelity and I've been on the opposite, opposite side of infidelity where I was the one who did it. So when I'm talking to somebody, I think I bring, now listen, Dr. Christie, I think when, when, if you're talking to a female, let's just say who lost a baby, right? Yeah. If she's talking to somebody who didn't lose a baby, they can do all the head nods and I'm so sorry. And, you know, they can give you all that. But boy, it's a different conversation when she's talking to somebody else who lost a baby as well. That conversation is on a whole different energy level. And although I, 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 I don't like all the experiences uh, that I went through because they were horrific and they were tragic, I get so many times, wow, I feel for the first time ever somebody gets me. Because people over likability want relatability. Uh -huh. They want to know, do you get where I'm do you get what I'm feeling right now? And although I could never say I can walk a mile in your shoes, even if I've walked a mile in your shoes, because we're all different with different experiences, right. I can come pretty close because I've lived a life of some pretty tragic hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even if we haven't been through that particular experience, you know, we can relate to the feeling of whatever it is. So sexual trauma, for instance, is an important topic because it's, rampant, right? One in three girls, one in four boys experience some type of some type of sexual trauma. And it's such a difficult thing to talk about, uh, you know, and but really derails um, a, a person's ability to even trust themselves or the environment or to have a meaningful relationship in, unless they've done the work, right? Unless they've kind of embraced the pain and, you know, and even for those who have not experienced sexual trauma, you know, I, I think that losing the um, ability to protect oneself and then experience pain because of it, I think is relatable on all levels. 
you know. So I do think it's really important that we talk about those experiences. And, you know, I mean, not that we talk about all those experiences or personal experiences during sessions with our clients as coaches, but sometimes that, um, you know, self-reveal um, or, you know, share can, can be worth its weight in gold. Yes, because especially because there's so much shame that's attached sometimes yeah. to, um, you know, you know, if I'm talking to, um, it, it's interesting because sexual abuse does, for the most part, different things to different genders. I think a lot of times if I'm talking to females, they'll be like, they stole one of my life's precious gifts that that wasn't who I wanted to give my first time to. They stole that. And a lot of times when I'm talking to to, to, to men, what gets confusing about their sexual uh, abuse is that especially when you're a tween or a teen, a boy's body is going to respond to physical touch. Yes. And that confuses them so much because they're like, I didn't want it. It was gross. I felt dirty. I feel dirty to this day. But why did I respond? Why did my body respond like it was stimulated? Yes. So there's a lot of things that, you know, they have to work out with this. And then if, it, if they were betrayed, which is a, a good majority of the time, by a trusted family or friend member, that, then it's all the more so. And one of the hard things about working with just in general, sexual trauma, trauma, no trauma, whatever, is sometimes or oftentimes when we utilize a technique to heal from trauma, we have to learn at some point to let that technique go. Because what happens is that some of the times the tools and techniques that we've used to help us heal, we don't need anymore. We can let them go. But if we don't, they evolve, they evolve and morph into our personalities. Uh -huh. And then it's our new personalities we're taking into the world. And then people are like, well, wait a minute, who are you? That's not the person you are. It's who you've become from the techniques that you've had to use to heal. You don't need those techniques anymore. So it's a long process. People, it's funny, people get on their site and they're like, okay, what do I have to do to heal my trauma? I'm like, oh, no, 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 sorry. No, you gotta be in it for the long haul. You know, some people can heal relatively well, depending on how, how, how real they wanna get, how raw they wanna get, how much work they wanna put into it. Um, but a lot goes into that. A lot goes into self-forgiveness, you know? Uh, be willing to let go of your story. Be willing to acknowledge and address. Listen, I don't have to tell you healing from trauma is not comfortable. Just real quick. Do me a favor. Can you fold your arms real quick? Okay. Just fold your arms, you know, relative. Okay. Relatively relaxed, relatively comfortable. Now try to fold them the other way. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you want to go back, right? To the original way. Okay. You can stop now. Because that's what healing from trauma is. We want to go back to what's familiar to us. And what's familiar is holding on to anger, blaming somebody, feel, even if we feel like a victim, whatever. We got to get real comfortable being uncomfortable if you want to heal from trauma. Yes. Uh, that was a great, that's great, by the way. I don't know why it's so difficult, but it is. And you're right. I mean, as you know, as human beings, we do do what we know, even if what we know is no longer effective. Right. Yeah. So the idea of starting from, okay, this, this technique no longer serves me. Can you give me some examples of like, you know, a technique that somebody would use, but it's time to let go of? 
Sure. You know, some people will um, some people will take on techniques such as, you know, boundaries, new boundaries um, and boundaries. I say some boundaries are negotiable. Some boundaries are non-negotiable. So that would be a technique like, you know, OK, you know, you know, we go from blind, blind trust to wise trust or we go from um, uh whatever boundary can be non-negotiable, you know? So, so that would just be something at the top of my, my head. Um, keeping in mind the people that disrespect our boundaries the most is ourselves. And I'll give you a perfect example. I was talking to this lady uh, not too long ago. She, this lady, she was from California. She called me. She was in her late sixties. And she said, um, you know, Mr. J, I just wanted to tell you, I, 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 I tell people all the time, um, I'm old fashioned. I don't like people meeting me at my house. I'm, I'm going to meet you at the restaurant. Um, so, uh, but there was a guy who was traveling from a long distance. And so I said, okay, well, listen, because you're traveling long distance, why don't you pick me up at my house? We can go to the restaurant. She says, and at the end of the night, he went to kiss me, which is fine. It's the end of the kiss, but he continued to kiss me. Even if I turned my head and I said, no, he continued to kiss me. And I said, well, listen, the first thing that comes to my mind is you taught him that your boundaries were negotiable. When you told him you don't usually do this, but you'll do that. You told him that, hey, your boundaries are flexible. Your boundaries are negotiable. So bottom line, we have to be firm in our own boundaries. But at the same token, we have to know what boundaries are negotiable and what boundaries aren't. Keeping in mind, as we mature, as we heal, and as we get stronger and confident, we can put those boundaries on the table to discuss them. Mm, yes. Very nice. And what about the idea of letting go of your story? Or in my, in, in my mind, you know, the work that I do with my clients, I use a lot of brain plasticity. And so we, we continue the story, but we alter the direction, right? So somebody who experienced trauma um, then decides to do something powerful with it, you know, be a voice of, you know, I, you know, protection or, or, you know, or change that that's sort of the way I deal with it. How do you, what is your theory on altering your story? Yeah. Let me just say first this, I absolutely believe a hundred percent. You have to, um, you have to give, um, uh, power to your pain. You have to give your mess a message. You know, if you look at Victor Frank or Corey Ten Boom or Nelson Mandela, um, the reason they were able to be successful after years of unfair prison treatment is because they said, if I didn't learn how to add productivity to my pain, I would be living in a mental prison until I was six feet under. Yes. So one of the things that I have people do is, um, you know, and again, this is depending on where they are on the healing spectrum, because somebody just, you know, fresh into trauma isn't going to be open to this. But one of the things I'll do is I'll have them write down. This is people that, you know, have been years and years out of a betrayal or out of trauma, but they're still, quote, stuck. I'll say, write down the um, false positives that you're getting from holding on. You know, because listen, a lot of us, and I'm going to offend some of your listeners, so I, I apologize. Okay. I do too. A lot of us love to hold on to the victim status. Mm -hmm. This happened to me because listen, we get a lot of the poor. I'm so sorry. We get a lot of the attention. We get a lot of the, you know, the, we, we 
listen, we all have a currency and we will use our trauma to get a currency what we want. A lot of us have our story. You know, I'm never going to love again. I'm never going to trust again because so-and-so broke me. Okay, well, you're, all you're doing is preventing yourself from doing the hard work. So you don't have, it's like this, you know, I tell people, think about your, think about the famous chef that you like, Meryl, whoever it is, Bobby Flay, I don't even know who they are. These people that, that make the most beautiful, delicious gourmet dishes, right? There's times they're going to burn themselves on the stove. They're, they're going to burn themselves on the stove. Um, and listen, they have every right. They have every right to say, oh, that burn was horrible. I'm never cooking again. They have every right to do that. But Lord have mercy. Imagine the beautiful gourmet dishes they'll never create again or the people that won't experience those gourmet dishes because they chose never to cook again. So we can either stay in our story or we can decide I'm going to add some pain. I'm going to add some purpose to my pain and, and move on. And so I think that's, that's that. So first of all, I think you have to dig to address what purpose did you assign your pain? That's not accurate because listen, especially betrayal, Dr. Christie betrayal hits us at our core insecurities. Uh -huh. And a lot of times when there's a couple in front of me, I'll hear, let's just say it's a male female couple. And let's just say the male stepped out. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times I'll hear the female say, do you think I'm that worthless where you could do A, B, C, and D? And the next woman will say, do you think I'm that ugly where you can, you know, go be with whatever? Well, that tells me one of her core insecurities is maybe she feels ugly. Yes. And the next lady, her core insecurity is unworthiness. So let's go back and discuss what, what about your childhood? What about your past made you feel unworthy? So it's not only recreating a new, new future. It's yes. also dissecting and reframing some of the story that's not true, not accurate that you gave the original story. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, it's amazing. It sounds like you and I have um, very similar clients that show up in our offices, right? But, you know, also, though, I, I, I bring a, a, a bit of realism to that because, you know, I mean, at least in San Diego and California, there's so many beautiful people. And oftentimes when somebody cheats, let's face it, especially if, you know, it's a middle-aged couple and he ends up, you know, having an affair with somebody 25 years younger or the same age of his oldest daughter. And so, of course, in anybody that would trigger insecurity, like I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm, you know, I'm used up, I had children, all of this stuff, right? So there's, there is a component of reality that we don't, I, I don't like to um, disregard, Right, because it is true that it's painful when your partner does something like that. But I feel like that reality is an important one to embrace. One of the examples I use often, I, I grew up in Los Angeles in the Valley in the 80s. Yes, that makes me a, literally a Valley girl, but I work very hard to not sound like one, except when I get excited and clap, and that's a whole different story. But I use, and, I, and, and in the 80s, there was busing, and you know, many of the parents were like, God forbid I, we get bussed out of the Valley. Where would you go? where else is there except the valley so I ended up going to a private school that was you know filled with entertainment industry kids and so I, I kind of had the buzz on what was going on in the entertainment world and at that time Oprah Winfrey was becoming really really popular and it dawned on me that in the very beginning when she came out she tried to fit in, right? Straighten her hair and get thin and do all the sound, sound, you know, like she was Caucasian, all these different things until all of a sudden she didn't. And she came out openly with all of her flaws, you know, 
weight and, you know, sexual abuse and all. And, and people embraced her wounds and flaws by, by the kajillions, right? All of those flaws equaled power and impact and adoration. And most of us feel like our wounds um, are too vulnerable and make us look weak or make us sound weak. Or, But it's interesting because we do know that it's the opposite. Embracing those wounds are, is quite powerful, right? So when you're working with your clients, what do you do with those wounds that are part, become part of their fabric? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. Wounds definitely make us warriors if we do the work yeah. because they can also cripple us. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I have people do, and I don't know if I'm going to answer your question. So, so yeah. let me know if I don't. One of the things I have um, people do is number one, um, I have people go back to their childhood and think of a time or a specific situation or a phase that wasn't good. So, you know, let's just say they remember a time when they were 10 years old, they're on the playground and, and they got bullied. And what I asked them to do is write a letter to your younger self from the person you are today. And I want you to, 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 to marinate a little bit in that moment and say, you know what, listen, I was there I, I remember that 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 flinching of your stomach, and I remember how you felt when that tingling went up your spine because you saw the bully. And I remember what your face felt like when your face hit the ground and you had you know sand in it and, and pebbles. And I want to let you know I didn't have a voice then. I didn't have a voice then, but I got a voice now, and I'll never let you feel like that again. So that's one of the things I do to, to, to dig into a little bit of empowering. See, because trauma, the opposite of trauma, well, some people would say choice, but trauma is, is like life-altering powerlessness. And so what I want to do is empower people because their power has been taken away. Now, another thing I do to move forward in the future, and you know, a lot of coaching is having your clients write. I say all the time, listen, if you're going to come to me, it's like going to college. You're only going to get 10% out of, out of our session, but it's from your homework, you're going to get the, the other 90%. So if you do the homework that I recommend, you're going to heal a lot quicker than you just and me just, you know, DBT talking. Um, <clears throat> but one of the other things too that I tell people to do is um, write your Write your healed, healthy, healthy, happy self. <clears throat> Whatever that is, two years from now, describe who your healed, happy, healthy self is. What do you look like? What are you wearing? What does your hair look like? What are you saying? What do you smell like? Who's around you? What are people saying to you? Write about your healed, healthy, healthy, happy self. Then when you get into these moments where you either get triggered or an emotional flashback or anything like that, Ask yourself, is this thought helping me to become my healed, healthy, healthy 2.0 self? And if not, you got to get out of that mindset because other people give us pain. We give ourselves suffering. Mm, mm, wow, beautiful. I absolutely agree with that. So you, because we both work with relationships and couples, um, it, it brings in the notion of relational trauma which is different than other types of trauma, right? Relational trauma, you know, infidelity, 
loss, I mean, you know, relationship with our parents, loss of parents, or abandoned, being abandoned by parents. How do you see the difference between regular trauma, if there is regular trauma, and relational trauma? So, um, so here's the deal, you know, th while there's trauma and there's betrayal and then there's big T trauma and little T trauma and big P betrayal and little B trauma. And as we know, trauma is not necessarily what happens to us, rather how our body responds to it. Trauma is anything that overwhelms our coping mechanisms. Um, and that's individual. Christy, you and I can walk outside right now and see a car accident and I can be traumatized from it and you don't have to be. And that depends on many things. Resiliency, support system. I mean, you know, there's a million factors of that. <clears throat> Betrayal trauma is life altering powerlessness at the hands of somebody we were reliant upon. Somebody that we, this could be a boss, a child, a parent, um, uh, certainly a significant other. It could also be ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I talk to even women. They're like, listen, I did my yoga. I drank my smoothies. I meditated and I was still diagnosed with breast cancer. Why would God betray me? Why would my body betray me? So we can betray ourselves, you know? But as far as betrayal trauma, let me just say this, if I could have a couple seconds of your time just to give you a visual. I want you to imagine there's a very thin bridge a mile above the ground, right? A very thin bridge, but a very long bridge. It's about a mile long. Under that bridge is volcanoes, fire, lava, and there's a lot of smoke and fire that's going up high. <clears throat> you are walking on that bridge. Let's just say you have your two kids, right? Two young kids. You got one kid in this arm, one kid in the other arm, and you got to walk to safety to the other side of the bridge, right? Now, who's guiding you? is the person you love and trust your most. Let's just say it's your spouse, right? So you're walking across this very thin bridge knowing very well if you fall, it's absolutely to your detriment. You're walking across this bridge and Christy, sometimes the smoke is so blinding, you have to put your hand on the person in front of you, your partner, your spouse, just for them to lead the way because you can't see in front of you. You got your two kids that you're worried about them, you're worried about falling, you're worried about getting burned, and you putting your hand on the person in front of you that's going to lead you to safety. Next thing you know, Christy, the bridge collapses and you're falling and you got your two babies in your arms and your brain is hijacked and it's filled with fear and your amygdala is going wild. And while you're falling, you look up and you see the person you trusted the most has a hammer in their hand. They're the ones that made the bridge collapse. You are confused. You're shocked. You're in disbelief. That's relational trauma. That's betra that's betrayal trauma right there. Then you do fall, but you don't die. You got your two kids. You got to get up and move forward in life. How do you do that? Well, that's where we come in. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, very. I love it. What I, you're, you're really good at painting pictures. Really good at painting. <laughs> you are. So, okay, let's, let's look at that for a second because that's where most people say, that's it. I fell. I mean, I have to do this for my children, not myself, but, you know, I'm the only reason I survived is because of my children. And then all of a sudden, the children grow up and they go off, and now you're just alone with yourself, right? And, but, you're, you know, people get stuck in that. I couldn't because of 
that, you know, they can rely on that experience to never move forward and never let go. And the confusion in their head is still there. Like, you know, a little bit of a mind fuck because they're like, that's it. This is who I am now. I've, I've fallen and I can't get up, so to speak. You know, how do you, how can you recommend to our listeners just the ability to stand up and see, see possibility? Like what's next? Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, great question. Great question, but very loaded because a lot of the times, first of all, a lot of the times I'll get a call when people are three, four, seven, ten years out of a betrayal, when their their damage is almost solidified to concrete and it's gonna be very difficult to to you know penetrate. That's number one. So ideally somebody would reach out immediately for help. Um, <clears throat> number two, I tell people, you don't have to make any decisions at all immediately. It, the only decision you have to make is keeping yourself safe. And if you have kids, keep themselves safe. Because you know what happens a lot of times is the person that had the hammer on the bridge, immediately after they see you fall, they climb down from the bridge, they go to you and they say, I'm so sorry, let's work this out. Well, now you're like, oh my God. <laughs> There's shame if I leave, there's guilt if I leave, there's shame if I stay, there's guilt if I stay. So depending on where on the spectrum somebody is, I mean, I would give you a different answer. But when somebody calls me and they're just in that bear hugging the toilet stage where they're, you know, they're in the fetal position in bed, one of the first things I do immediately is have them do some grounding techniques. I mean, that's one of the first things you have to do is do some grounding techniques. Another thing I do is I have people uh, create a needs assessment because everybody's different. Everybody's going to handle betrayal different. Everybody's going to need different things. For instance, name three people that you can call at any point in the middle of the night, even that's going to immediately pick up the phone with no judgment and pray with you. Mm. Name three um, restaurants that are going to deliver because when you're in bed in the fetal position, you can't even bear to get up you still got to feed your kids. So what three restaurants can you call immediately and within a half an hour, your kids are eating pizza? What are three comedies or three shows or three comedians that you can watch that are not going to make you laugh, but are just going to get your mind off of something for a second. So put down a needs assessment. Um, so, you know, and then eventually as you go on the healing spectrum, we do all kinds of techniques, you know, do the 10, 10, 10 system. You know, if you stay, where are you going to be in 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years? If you leave, where are you going to stay in 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years? So depending on where on the spectrum they are, you know, a lot of these techniques, because, you know, there's no, there's no one size fits all with That's betrayal. Right. Um, and people have different support systems, different resiliency. And again, betrayal hits us at our core insecurities. So I want to make sure that they're not putting a story in that's untrue that they're going to live with. Because I always say we narrate and then we ruminate and then we marinate. And once we marinate, we start changing the neural pathways in our brain that are yep. almost going to solidify into concrete, making it very difficult to heal. Yes. And that, that marination, that rumination you know, sitting in your own muck and ruminating because you, you know, that maybe they didn't trust themselves and then be, because of that they were betrayed. And so there's question, I don't know, I can't make up my mind. You know, there's a lot of sort of flighty, well, if I do it, then this, and I, if I don't, then this, and they get stuck in that gray area, like a foot on either side. How do you, how do you support them in getting their foot out of one side and choosing something else instead of just going down that rabbit hole? Yeah. Um, another great question. Thank you. Um, a couple of things. First of all, I tell people again, unless you are unsafe, 
you don't have to make decisions immediately. Um, uh, unfortunately, Dr. Christine, I'm sure you know, sometimes the decision was taken from the person. Uh -huh. You know, they'll discover an affair, and, and once they're in that shock mode, they're also watching their partner pack their stuff so they can go move in with their affair partner. So they didn't even have a choice. Right. <laughs> and what yeah. but, but if somebody, uh, but what I tell people is that because your brain is hijacked, your amygdala is is on full, you know, out, you're, you're not thinking with your frontal cortex. Don't make any decisions other than keeping yourself safe or your kids safe in the moment. Once you can get a grasp on doing some of these, you know, grounding techniques, once you can start thinking, then, then you can start evaluating, but just evaluate. Don't make decisions. Just evaluate. Okay. If my spouse, my partner, my significant other wants to reconcile, well, I don't even like the word reconcile. I like rebuilding. If they want to rebuild, there's some thoughts. Were they a good person overall with the exception of the, you know, stepping out of the marriage? Are they a good father? Are they a good son? Are they a good worker? Are they attentive to me? Because, you know, another thing too is, and I know I'm trailing off and I apologize. I really try to tell people, um, don't look at affair partners as these, you know, beautiful, busty, red lips, beautiful hair. No, look at them as walking, talking pain medications mm -hmm. because 99% of the time, somebody goes out because they're, they're lacking something. They're, they need to heal something. They're trying to numb, avoid, cope with something. So we're looking at them um, comparing ourselves. You know, men always look at the other men. Look at, he had big muscles and how big was his this? And, yeah. you know, look at his deep voice and he has such a good job. And, um, you know, women are always comparing physical attributes, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't want to paint a broad brush, sometimes yes. it's both, whatever, but I say you can't do that. Well, first of all, you shouldn't compare a relationship built on lies and manipulation and deception, compare it to what you have, you shouldn't compare that period. But um, second, you shouldn't compare because the people that were in our lives, yes, they're human but they're walking and talking pain medications. Yeah. So don't, don't compare yourself to that. Compare yourself to a walking pain medication that was serving a chemical imbalance in their brain. Like well, you can't compare, you just, you know, can't. Right. So anyways, depending on where they are on the spectrum, I would advise them, you know, different techniques. No, that's okay. It was great. It was, it was a great diversion. Can I ask you one of your, uh, about your grounding techniques, you know, yeah, there's many. There's many. Listen, uh, so if a lot of the times when I talk to people, one of the biggest things is are, are triggers, triggers of the affair, triggers of the sexual acting out, triggers of them catching their spouse and porn, whatever. And so there's a couple things. Number one, I tell them this. Keep in mind, triggers are not here to threaten us. They're just here to inform us. The threats already passed. So they're not here to just here to inform us. So number one, one of the things you can do is actually talk to your trigger. And I say, if you're a female, I say a lot of times, um, talk to your uh, amygdala, call her Amy, you know, for AMY, amygdala, talk to your friend, say, okay, Amy, what, what are you trying to tell me right now? What do I, what do I need? And whatever you need, give yourself. If you're triggered and you feel uh, like you want a hug, if you're rebuilding with your partner, ask your partner for a hug. If your partner's not around, give yourself a hug. If you're triggered and you talk to Amy, and for the guys, I call, I have them talk to their amygdala. I call them Elmo because our amygdala is almond shaped. Uh -huh. So I say, you know, talk to Elmo. Say, Elmo, what do I need? And if you need connection, get connected. Go to a church function, call a friend or a family. Give yourself what was robbed from you. The second thing you can do is put a rubber band on your wrist. Every time you're triggered, snap it because that'll snap you out of your trigger sometimes. Another thing that I have people do is immediately start throwing out some math questions because when <laughs> your amygdala is, is hijacked, you're not 
thinking with your logic brain and your frontal cortex has to be engaged. And in order to do that, you got to think of logic things. So start throwing out some logic, some math questions. 10 times 10 is 100. 10 minus 7 is 3. You got to, you know, engage your yes. frontal cortex. And then some of your grounding techniques could be anything. Look around the room for the colors of the rainbow. Roy G. Biv. Okay, I see a red lamp. I see an orange pen. I see a yellow, you know, just ground yourself. So yes. there's a bunch of different grounding techniques. Yeah. 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 Changing your physiology. Well, I have so enjoyed talking to you and I hope that we get to do this again because you're just packed full of amazing information. So I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for, you know, all of your, your great um, advice. You can find all of our content on our website at lifesauce.com. That's life-sauce.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. I'm Dr. Christy Wise. Thank you for joining us.